Welcome to The Breakdown with James Lankford, where Oklahoma Senator James Lankford discusses policy issues in Congress. Thank you for listening today. This is The Breakdown. Well, this is Senator James Langford, uh, Senator from Oklahoma, with another episode with The Breakdown. The Breakdown is an opportunity that we take every month to be able to take some of the big news topics of the day that people hear bits and pieces about and try to break them down into simple, understandable, the moving parts, the background, how that actually came out uh, in, uh, in full force. Glad that you've joined us. You're always welcome to be able to track us in any of the different uh, platforms uh, for podcasts. And so you're welcome to join us on Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, any of those. Uh, you can track the social media at Senator Langford or go to our website, langford.senate.gov. Well, we have an interesting conversation today. I hope all of them are interesting, quite frankly, uh, but it's interesting in a couple of ways. One is we typically sit down in the studio together uh, in microphones right next to each other and record it. We're not doing that. We're social distancing, literally through the phone, uh, doing a recording this time, and so we're not getting the opportunity to be able to sit down. And uh, we have, ha- have, us, have joining with us, I should say, today, uh, Eric Dryband. Eric Dryband is the Assistant Attorney General for the United States. He works in the civil rights area, uh, originally from Indiana, uh, former prosecutor, but now works for the United States government as an Assistant Attorney General. Uh, Eric, we are very grateful uh, that you're on the team today. Well, Senator Langford, thank you for having me. It's a real privilege to talk with you, and, uh, and uh, thank everyone for listening as well. Well, there are quite a few things dealing with on civil rights, and uh, my counsel, who is on this uh, podcast as well, Sarah Seitz, that uh, folks that uh, are from Oklahoma know Sarah extremely well and the work that she continues to be able to do as the legislative director for our team and also the counsel for our team. Uh, She does a phenomenal job tracking down a lot of these constitutional issues and helping us to be able to stay on top of these things as we go. So Sarah is joining us as well. Uh, we are literally scattered out in three different regions on three different lines. But, Sarah, thanks for stepping back on again. Thanks for having me, sir. Well, I'm glad. I'm not just thanks for having you on this. I'm glad you're always with us because you do a tremendous job for Oklahoma and Oklahomans. Uh, so the goal of the conversation today is a civil rights conversation. There's been a lot of conversation uh, about uh, what what happens, what are Americans required to do Uh, in this time of COVID-19. Are we in martial law? Are we in lockdown? What can a mayor do? What can a governor do? What can the United States president do? Uh, Some of this has come out in multiple ways in the media. Uh, Recently, uh, Elon Musk, uh, famous for uh, Tesla and a lot of other things, uh, just announced that no matter what California is going to do, Tesla is going to start production again. And he said, I'm going to work on the line. If you're going to come arrest us, come arrest me first. Uh, There's a hairdresser in Texas that was arrested for not closing her business. Uh, That became a big stir there. Uh, Recently, there's some churches in Illinois uh, that they were meeting and the court stepped in and said, no, churches are equal to a movie theater. And so if movie theaters are closed, then churches also have to be closed. And the court stepped in and said, these churches have to be able to close down. And there was even an article in the New York Times this past week uh, that the New York Times article talked about uh, a prosecutor position in in California, actually, Uh, that literally she works from her living room and takes in requests from every business in her area. And the business would text her or email her and ask if they could open or ask if they could do something. And so she sitting in her living room was basically single-handedly making the decision who could be open, who couldn't be open, how long could they be open, how many people could they have come over to their house. 
and she had interesting decisions to make, like uh, would you uh, allow private flying lessons uh, for someone who is uh, a, a flight school? Can they do flying lessons? Uh, and so she decided, no, you can't do that. Uh, but then she had another request for a group of folks that all had rabbits, pet rabbits. They wanted to get together and have a little seminar on how to be able to trim the rabbit's uh, toenails. And uh, so she was thinking that one through and decided, yeah, maybe we'll allow you to be able to get together in a small group and to trim rabbit's toenails together, but you can't actually do flying lessons or other things. It, it started this interesting conversation even in the New York Times of saying, wait, where are we? What is the status of the American Constitution? And when we get into a moment like this, what do we allow and what do we not allow? And most importantly, who makes the decision? Uh, does a government official, either local government, state or federal government, make that decision? Or does the individual make that decision? And it gets even harder when you get to issues of religious liberty or the press, uh, which is First Amendment rights. Can you tell the press, no, you can't really attend this uh, because th th this is an event that's going to be closed due to COVID-19. And so the press is not allowed and they're pushed out where you allow certain press and don't allow other press and say there's too many press here, so we're going to cut you out. Uh, or to say for a religious institution, as, as, as I stated before with these churches in Illinois, uh, and we've seen it in several places in Kentucky and Mississippi and other places as well, uh, and even some conversation in our state in Oklahoma, um, which our Attorney General stepped out and spoke on, and which uh, Attorney General Barr, which I'm sure, Eric, you had something to do with the writing and gathering of this, but Attorney General Barr made the comment saying, in times of emergency, when reasonable and temporary restrictions are placed on rights, the First Amendment and federal statutory law prohibit discrimination against religious institution and religious believer. Thus, government may not impose special restrictions on religious activity that doesn't also apply to similar non-religious activity. And so it's been an interesting dialogue on this. So, Eric, walk me through the type of things that you're having to deal with. Are, are you sitting in your office and deciding whether people can trim the toenails of rabbits together or take pr uh, private flying lessons? Or as you're looking at this from a national level, dealing with the civil rights of Americans in a time of real health crisis that we're dealing with right now, <clears throat> what are the type of things that you work on on a day-to-day -day basis on trying to help states and entities understand what the constitutional protections? Uh, well, Senator Lankford, we're looking at a lot of different things. Uh, the Attorney General, Attorney General Barr, uh, directed myself and uh, United States Attorney Matthew Schneider to oversee and coordinate the efforts of the Department of Justice to monitor um, state and local policies and, if necessary, to take action uh, to correct them. Now, uh, it is the case that state and local governments do have very broad authority to address uh, this pandemic. Uh, that we are in a state of a public health emergency and uh, you know the state and local authorities have a difficult job to do to, to protect the health and safety of people in the United States. On the other hand, as the Attorney General has stressed, and as we have explained publicly and to federal courts, uh, there is no pandemic exception to the United States Constitution and the Bill of Rights, and likewise, in particular, there's no such exception to the freedom of religion protections contained in the First Amendment of the Constitution. And so one of the things that we have been looking at and have weighed in in federal courts about our religious liberty protections with respect to the pandemic. And I think it's important to understand that while, um, you know, state and local governments have, have do have, like I said, they do have this broad police powers, what it's known as in the law, that is to protect, take actions to protect people from, in this case, the COVID-19 uh, virus. 
At the same time, they cannot discriminate against uh, people because of their religion. And so if, for example, uh, a state or local government permits certain kinds of activities and, uh, that are not religious, it, it must permit similar religious activities, and otherwise they, it could run, such prohibitions could run uh, in violation of the First Amendment. Well, let me, so let me, that's let me one of the things, but we are looking at other issues too, but I'm sorry, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There, there are quite a few things that are going on with this. I, I can't imagine the number of issues and questions that you're receiving on this. So let me poke on this a little bit. You talk about broad police powers uh, to be able to deal with health and safety. Uh, can uh, a policeman walk down the street and or drive around a neighborhood and say, you can't leave your house right now? Uh, we're under strict control. No one can leave their home right now. Is that possible? Well, a police officer just patrolling a neighborhood or something like that. I mean, it, 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 let, me, let me clarify. It, it certainly is possible that if there are duly enacted you know, laws in a particular state that restrict people in time of crisis to their homes, that could be enforced and could be, and I say could be, in theory, uh, lawful. However, uh, you know, those types of restrictions should be temporary and may need to be justified if if they in any way are lawful. And I think we you know we are looking at the Justice Department. We are looking at any such practice with a careful eye because you know we live in a free country here, and we don't live in a police state. This is not a dictatorship. This is the United States of America, as we like to call it, and I think correctly, the land of the free. And uh, having a police state that restricts people uh, to, say, not leaving their homes is something that uh, we would look at very carefully. And I have not heard of that kind, that level of well, restriction. I haven't either. I'm yeah, just trying to but, take it to the extreme because there, there are folks that have called me and have said, okay, I, I don't really like wearing a face mask. Uh, I don't want to wear a face mask. Everyone's saying that I should wear a face mask. But there are some folks that are saying I, I just have breathing problems already or I'm claustrophobic. And uh, so their, their question is, is there someone that could actually arrest me because I don't wear a face mask or, or, or if, if a company says this is going to be our uniform uh, for a period of time, uh, that uh, part of our uniform is going to be we're going to wear a face mask, how, how should people address that? What, what, is that? what are the legal parameters there? Okay, so I think that's a good question, Senator Langford. I think in, in the, the workplace protections are, are different than uh, what a state or local government can do. So employers, they, they're not restrict, employers are not restricted by, say, the First Amendment or other general limits on governmental power that are contained in the Constitution of the United States. They have to comply with laws like the Occupational Safety and Health Act, which is a federal law that requires employers to provide a workplace that's um, protects the health and safety of workers. So employers have much broader latitude under the Constitution than do state or local governments to impose restrictions on employees. At the same time, though, they also have a duty to comply with this federal law, the Occupational Safety and Health Act, to protect, as a general matter, the health and safety of their employees. So in the workplace, employers can impose greater restrictions on their employees than can state or local governments as a general matter because the Constitution, the federal Constitution restricts all government in this country and it divides up power federally and state and local governments and, and that kind of thing. Now, so 
if an employer says, for example, everybody in the workplace has to wear a certain kind of protective gear, like a face, you know, a, a, a mask, it's very likely that employers have the authority and, in fact, may have the legal duty to do that under the Occupational Safety and Health Act. But the, the powers so, of state and local governments are more restricted by protections in the Bill of Rights and other federal laws in the Constitution. Okay, so let, let, let's talk a little bit about churches because this has been a dialogue for a while. Can a state or a local entity step into a church situation and say, nope, you can't meet as a church? It depends. It, it, it is possible and it, as long as the restrictions are temporary and that, that the restrictions are applied in the same way to similar non-religious gatherings. What we have seen is a bit of inconsistency at times. And so, for example, Senator Langford, uh, we filed uh, papers, uh, what we call a statement of interest, in, uh, in, a, in a case in support of a church in Mississippi, because there the allegations were that the, the religious worshipers were holding uh, worship services in a parking lot. The, the congregants listened to their pastor uh, from their car radios. The pastor was inside the church. They were practicing social distancing. Their windows were rolled up, and yet the, the city of Greenville, Mississippi, uh, fined, uh, dispatched the police to, upon this thing and uh, fined each congregant $500 per person, uh, even though, as far as we were concerned, and the allegations suggested, that uh, these w religious worshipers were practicing very strict social distancing guidelines and practices, and the so city of Greenville... Was, uh, yeah. Yeah, go, I was just saying, in that, in that situation, we've got uh, folks like uh, people in Oklahoma know what a sonic drive-in is. Uh, a sonic drive-in could be open, or people could sit in their car, have their windows up, get service for a restaurant, but they couldn't sit in their car and actually do worship uh, at that point. Uh, so you're saying that was just blatant. Uh, they're choosing based on the, what they were doing, uh, saying we're not going to allow this action uh, rather than something similar being allowed, especially if it's religious in nature. That's correct. So, it, yeah, that's, you're, and you're 100% correct. Well, what we found was that the allegations were that nearby drive-in restaurants were permitted to operate, where people could drive up in their car and they could they could get food and they could even eat, sit there with their windows rolled down. Whereas these people at the church uh, had their windows rolled up. They were not permitted to, by their own design, and the pastor was supporting this. They were not permitted even to leave their cars. And these were individuals, you know, in a small town in Mississippi who did not have access to, you know, a Zoom call or Internet-based ability to listen to their, their, their pastor. But so this was the way they came up with to do it. it was, uh, uh, and it appeared to us that uh, the city was, had singled them out um, and were, was treating them worse than other, other non-religious similar gatherings. And so we, we weighed in in favor of the church. Now, fortunately there, the mayor of Greenville backed off and uh, agreed, uh, you know, not to go forward with these kind of fines and so forth. So we're, you know, but but those are the kinds of things, Senator Langford, that that we are looking at. You know, is is a state or local government treating religious gatherings differently or worse than other similar gatherings? We had a similar case in Virginia too, where there where we uh, weighed in, uh, in in support of uh, people uh, who wanted to practice their religion. And what we found in, in the Virginia case was that, um, that likewise, there were non-religious gatherings that were permitted, but not, uh, you know, with social distancing, not, not religious gatherings at all. And, in fact, uh, the police in that case 
likewise targeted a particular church where there were 16 individuals who were engaged in social distancing inside a church that had a capacity of over 200, well over 200 people, and, and uh, they were targeted and threatened and so forth, and so we weighed in support of them as well. I, I get that completely. There, there have been several businesses that have started asking the same questions, and it is difficult to go back to the New York Times article uh, that there's someone sitting in their living room literally making decisions based on one type of business, yes, and another type of business, no. In a situation where a business owner is saying, my business is similar to a business that's allowed to open, but they can open and I cannot. Uh, what what should they do? What, what What's a good recourse in dealing with a mayor or with a governor or with any kind of restriction to say, hey, I, I, I want to follow the law. I don't know anyone in the country. I've not certainly met anyone in Oklahoma that doesn't uh, uh, doesn't want to help protect the health of their fellow citizens. Uh, they I, I think Americans understand this COVID-19 that we're dealing with is serious. Uh, this is not the flu. Uh, this is something that uh, puts people in a hospital on a ventilator and it causes multiple strokes for people uh, that are uh, vulnerable. I mean, it, it, it's very, very serious uh, once you get it from many people in their population. So I think people are paying attention to that, but they're also trying to figure out how to be able to balance things out. Uh, if they're in one type of business and saying this is similar to a type of business that's open, uh, Sarah, do you have a recommendation or Eric, or do you have a recommendation on if someone's concerned saying, I want to just get the message out and to be able to resolve this difference of opinion, how should they do that? I think we have seen uh, lots of folks asking these questions, and um, as we're getting them, I, I would encourage others to keep asking so that we can help get clarity and track down answers. I think the, the Justice Department has done a good job of getting information out, um, and now that sort of filtering down to the U.S. attorneys and the governor's offices and mayors, et cetera. Um, and I think the more we have factual information to put out, that is helpful. Um, I think even in the situations where we're trying to sort of find that balance between public safety and, and civil rights, um, you even have questions about alternatives and whether or not a viable alternative is still something that is reflective of protecting someone's civil right and, and things like that. So in, in the church example, uh, I know we have seen questions about whether or not having service online really is fulfilling someone's right to the free exercise of religion or if they have to be allowed to be physically present in the building. Um, we've seen this in the context of, of assembly and protest and limits on that in terms of uh, restriction in space and uh, the number of folks that can be present. Um, but I think the, the more the questions get out and we can get information to folks that's, that's helpful as we work through really an unprecedented time and trying to balance both uh, civil liberties and, and public health as well. Yeah, yeah, as you use the word unprecedented, that's really true. And I think what a lot of people need to understand is there are decisions being made and some things are being litigated as we go through the process that we're the first time trying to figure out where does this fit in the United States Constitution? How does this balance out? And, uh, and so I think it is important for people to be a little patient with each other as everybody's trying to be able to work for the health uh, of the country, but also we're trying to be able to protect each other's civil rights. Uh, Eric, do you have a quick thought on that as well? Yeah, uh, yeah. We so just to, yeah, Senator Langford, just a couple thoughts. Um, as Sarah mentioned, and, and correctly, uh, one of the things that we're doing at the direction of Attorney General William Barr is 
we're trying through our United States Attorney offices around the country to work with state and local officials when we become aware of uh, these concerns. And so let me give you an example. Right in Oklahoma, uh, we became aware of a situation in Norman about 10 days ago in which uh, the city of Norman uh, was permitting various kinds of activities but had a blanket ban on any kind of religious services. So there was no lawsuit pending, but we became aware of it. So working uh, with the United States Attorney Timothy Downing in uh, in Norman, uh, 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 U.S. Attorney Downing, who's the federal prosecutor for the, for the Western District of Oklahoma, the western half of the state, he sent a letter to the mayor of Norman, Oklahoma, expressed concerns about what they were doing, and uh, you know, offered to speak with her and uh, and that kind of thing, and so. She received his letter and decided she didn't want to take on the Justice Department. Uh, at least that's what she said publicly. And then she, so she backed off. And we've had and, – and so the religious gathering on Mother's Day went forward uh, in a way that was, again, mindful of and respectful of and complying with the social distancing standards that uh, the government has put out, but nevertheless permitted people to, to practice their faith uh, on Mother's Day, which was important to a lot of people there. And we've we've done similar things. To, you know, each state has one or more United States Attorney offices, and uh, I would encourage the listeners to uh, to reach out to the United States Attorneys in, in in Oklahoma or elsewhere, wherever they're listening, and express their concerns because we are at the direction of Attorney General uh, Barr, uh, you know, scrutinizing state and local practices and uh, trying to take whatever action we can. Uh, to work with people, not just to, you know, we'll go into court if we have to. Don't get me wrong. We're, we do that a lot, and we will continue to do that as necessary. But if we can work out things uh, with governors, with mayors and their staff, we'll do that too. Yeah, I don't run into a lot of Americans that want to violate each other's health, and I also don't run into a lot of Americans that want to violate the law. Uh, people want to violate the law, whether it's mayors, whether it's governors, other folks, they want to be able to do the right thing. And so rarely do you find that because this, but because this is so unprecedented, everyone's kind of trying to be able to balance their way through. Uh, we're getting close to the end of the time, but I've got one big topic that I want us to be able to kind of lightning round through, and that is a little bit of a shift, and it's this whole conversation about tracing. Uh, this, this dialogue about, uh, uh, well, we need to find someone who has COVID-19, and once we find it, we're going to find everyone that they've talked to and go back through and trace this. Now, what I've heard in the national media is China does a really good job with this, and South Korea does a really good job with this. Uh, they can track using their phones, uh, and they can trace everywhere that they've been, and they can go talk to everybody that they've talked to because the Chinese government knows each citizen and who they've talked to and where they've been because they track all their citizens every day, all day long. Uh, they have facial recognition on the streets. Uh, they have cell phones. Uh, that all have to have an app that tracks them and their every movement, so the government is allowed to be able to see that. And I've heard folks say that is so efficient uh, that they can track on all this tracing, and it's so helpful. Maybe we should do something like that in the United States. So, Eric, is that a good idea, a bad idea for us to be able to do that kind of tracing? Not saying tracing is a bad idea, but let's just start with that kind of tracing that you can track every citizen's every move from the government. Well, um, it's something that I have heard as well. Um, it would, to me, raise concerns um, about our rights under uh, the, the Bill of Rights. Uh, we in this country, unlike China, 
and other totalitarian communist-type countries, we do have uh, the Bill of Rights and our Constitution to restrict the authority of the government, um, but balanced against the need of the government to take appropriate action to protect us. Uh, but the kind, that kind of, uh, you know, monitoring of every movement that people make is certainly unprecedented in American history, and I think would raise a lot of questions about whether it is permitted by the Constitution of the United States. Um, you know, we, we pride ourselves as Americans in strengthening our government to take action as appropriate. We have the strongest military in the world. We've, we've got, you know, millions of people in law enforcement and other things who are serving at great risk to themselves. On the other hand, we are a free country. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's not entirely clear to me that that kind of massive uh, intrusion into people's private lives would be permitted by the Constitution. But, you know, if it comes to that, we would have to look at that and make a judgment at that point. That kind of proposal has never happened in this country, uh, and it certainly would raise a lot of questions, to put it mildly. Well, I would say in Congress, it's certainly not being addressed in a serious way as well, that there's no push in Congress to be able to do that type of tracing. But it has been interesting just in the media conversations that I've heard from people saying, you know, other countries are more efficient at tracing. Maybe we should do the same thing. Uh, my next question is, do you realize what that means and what that looks like in real-life terms? Do we really want any government, whether it's a local mayor, a governor, or uh, the federal government to be able to track every citizen and their locations and each person they've talked to, each place that they have gone at any moment, in a moment of kind of just in case I need to know uh, that every single person in the country is actually tracked and traced. Now, in a unique situation that we're in right now, we talk about tracing. Uh, there are several states, including my own in Oklahoma, uh, where they're in the process of either hiring or tasking National Guard. Uh, to be able to say, if we interact with someone, let's say, in a nursing home, uh, that they have had very limited contact with individuals and to figure out they have COVID-19, to be able to find out where could they have connected on this. Uh, is there an employee? Is there a delivery, a supplier? Uh, and be able to find out who might have brought that and where that goes, uh, because it's clear someone who was asymptomatic um, then interacted with someone and it had a very dramatic effect on them, and uh, we need to be able to slow the, the spread. That's a different issue. Uh, than just the issue of we're going to get a chance to be able to track each person every day, where they go, who they talk to, who they're in contact with, unless they voluntarily choose to share that as the federal government, I would think we would not do that uh, to individuals, especially that are American citizens. Well, it, it certainly would raise very serious constitutional questions and I think generate a lot of uh, protest and objection and, and a lot of action in federal courts. It's hard to imagine where it would end up. I mean, we, you know, I, I want to be clear. I mean, state and local governments, as well as the federal government, particularly state and local governments, they've got a very difficult job to do in containing this, this very contagious, deadly virus. And, and we're, at the Justice Department, at least, we're trying to be, and, and I hope we are, being respectful of, of the very important work that state and local governments have to do but we are monitoring these things, and uh, you know we want to do these things right, and we want to do it within the framework of the Bill of Rights and our Constitution as well. And so I share your concern, Senator Langford. That kind of approach would be both, as I said, unprecedented, but also would raise very serious concerns about our civil liberties. Well, we are the land of the free and the home of the brave. Uh, this is a moment where we should be wise with our freedom and to say we have a lot of freedom uh, to be able to make choices, to be able to do things, to be able to work, not work. 
Uh, we should be wise in that freedom to know that we're also guarding each other. Uh, I ran into a friend of mine in Washington, D.C., a nice, safe social distance, by the way, uh, last week. And his first comment to me was, I have over the past two months been completely impressed with Americans that have chosen to be able to follow health standards that they're not compelled to do, but know it's the right thing to do and have done it. And if you would have said to me three months ago, most every American will own a mask and will wear it at times in public places, uh, he would have laughed and said, no way. I would have laughed and said that would never happen. That might happen in Asia or other places where it's compelled, but Americans won't voluntarily do that. Uh, and we've all been proven wrong in the sense that uh, Americans have stepped up and have said, I know the right thing to do. I'm going to do that right thing to be able to do what I can to be able to help. Even though we live as a free people where we're not compelled to be able to do something by the government. Uh, and then we're also walking through, as I've said several times, and as Sarah mentioned before, through an unprecedented season where we're all trying to be able to make decisions that line up with our freedoms so we don't lose some of our freedoms now based on an overreaction of what we need to do to be able to help protect our health. So we're land of the free. We're home of the brave. Uh, we are uh, going to continue to be able to walk through all these hard issues together, uh, but there'll be a lots of difficult decisions that will be made, and we'll just all face them together and to be able to solve them together uh, one by one as we chip away. Eric, do you have any final closing comments or anything that you want to be able to share uh, with the American people to be able to say anything about the issues we've talked about? Well, I, I agree 100% with what you just said, Senator Langford, and I think, I think it's important to, to remember that the American people – uh, throughout our history have risen to the occasion and will and are doing so now. This country has defeated the greatest empire in the world in the 18th century in the American Revolution. It fought a brutal and murderous civil war and came out of that and survived. Uh, in the 20th century, it won two world wars, survived the original uh, pandemic uh, in this country in 1918, the Spanish flu, beat the Depression, beat Nazism, beat Communism, and I'm confident that we can and will uh, beat the COVID-19 uh, virus, and uh, and meanwhile we'll do it while preserving our values. So, uh, you know, Abraham Lincoln said that the United States is the last best hope of Earth, and I think the American people are proving that again now. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for stepping up. Thanks for leading the way that you're leading. You're doing a lot of hard work behind the scenes to be able to help a lot of people maintain and protect the freedoms that we have. We have inherited some freedoms, and you're helping guard those uh, for the future. Uh, regardless of the situation, and we're exceptionally grateful for the work that you do, Attorney General Barr is doing, and uh, the administration is doing right now, and we'll continue to be able to focus on as well. Sarah, thanks for your continued work as well, uh, for what you do for the people of Oklahoma, and quite frankly, the people of the nation, and being able to watch for these constitutional issues, and to be able to walk through some very difficult things together. Uh, I always appreciate your very good work in this, and I uh, appreciate you doing this, and I look forward to the time we get to actually work in the same office again, uh, you and I have not seen each other, I think, in two months now, and uh, there'll be a time that'll happen. But even the yeah. times when I'm in Washington, D.C., we I have no staff in the office at all right now uh, because Washington, D.C., unlike Oklahoma, it, Washington, D.C. is a hot spot uh, for COVID-19. And so they are in northern Virginia and Washington and Maryland and uh, up the east coast into New Jersey into New York uh, have proven to be very, very uh, treacherous area for COVID-19. And uh, so there, there will be a day we will all be back together as a staff, but grateful for the continued work uh, that you're doing uh, from home as well. Thank you, sir.
Well, thank you as well to everybody that's also listening in right now. Uh, you're welcome to join us every month when we try to break down some of the difficult issues of the day and just to join in the conversation with what people are talking about. Uh, we'll have more and more conversations about a lot of difficult issues in the days ahead. If you want to track us, you know you're always welcome to do that on uh, uh, at Senator Langford at all the social media platforms or on our website, langford.senate.gov. Uh, we update every day that site with fresh COVID-19 information, information about the Paycheck Protection Program, about the, uh, the Treasury uh, Program actually sending out uh, $1,200 to each American, uh, where we're trying to be able to get as much information out about the different credit options for companies that are struggling, unemployment insurance uh, for individuals that are trying to get reemployed, and for, quite frankly, what's happening next. And there's also a feature that we add in there called Lessons with Langford. That's for the, the kids from uh, elementary age up to middle school. If parents are doing some teaching at home and they want to learn something fresh about government, uh, they can track a video that we call Lessons with Langford. It's a 10 to 15-minute lesson on government uh, that uh, is just a discussion starter for families about our own freedom and government and what makes us so unique as Americans in the freedom that we have. So thanks for joining us again. Uh, thanks again, Eric and Sarah, for your help and uh, your engagement on these issues, and look forward to reconnecting in the days ahead. Well, thank you.